It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. Listen in as they discuss the 1920 film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. After a very long delay, a three-year delay, I should say, oh boy, me and Isaac here, we're paying old debts, we're following up on old promises, and we're finally going to give a proper review to The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Uh, for long-time listeners, if you recall, back on the 2020 New Year's, we are going to do a little special, and I had planned, I would actually written out a ton of notes, and I sadly deleted them, but it was like all the ways that 2020 matched up to uh, 1920. And I picked this movie at that time, The Cabin of Dr. Caligari, as an example of how cinema's changed. Uh, but I, I can't remember exactly why we, we abandoned it partway through the discussion. Do you, do you have any memories of that? We, I, I can't say we, but I just did not feel ready for this. I, hmm. Because I hold this film in high regards, and I feel, felt like I was not prepared and mature enough to, to do that. And to give a worthwhile and intellectually stimulating conversation regarding this I, I just i just couldn't and so like we we we, st- we started i i have not listened to it since i mean i probably listened to it before but after tonight i'll probably listen to it again because i definitely want to hear what i have to say t- three years ago but i think ultimately what has helped me personally uh is is definitely doing the avatar last airbender discussions oh yeah in general i, I think back in 2020 we were almost solely doing commentaries i think we experimented like three times we did the mandalorian pilot which essentially just turned into a commentary <laughs> unfortunately and then i did two written ones oh yeah i'd forgotten i was gonna do this one as a written one yep and i'd only started it and got like halfway through and then for some reason i couldn't finish it so i think that's another reason why we felt uh unprepared at the time yeah just complete for, again i don't i i can't speak for you but for for my part just completely immature um just just not ready i i hadn't dipped my toes into discussion waters i was still very much like oh we got to do commentaries only i I, but i just didn't know how to do discussions by that point and and thankfully with the helps of like sean steve and eric uh and and you as well doing doing all these it has greatly greatly helped my um giving me practice and helped me in this field of commentaries or uh discussion excuse me yeah and i guess discussions so would you like to break out your your old school format or should i say the geek Volution old school format 
and flip the boards or would you like to just do more of a general discussion i think a general discussion in this case as much as because i didn't write any like you know well (laughs) i mean if i'm gonna flip my sign well uh hi uh like hi i'm feeling it yes hi i'm feeling it absolutely Uh, very like you know, like big marks, big big like you know, huge marks on, on this one. Yeah, and I, I, w- I was almost joking because once I said it, I was like, oh no, how do I even pick like a best thing, worst thing? I don't, I don't know for this. So yeah, maybe we'll just do the regular style, and I'll ask. Uh, yeah, for your second viewing today, Isaac, what's your initial thoughts for uh, at Dr. Caligari, the cabinet? <laughs> <laughs> This, uh, there's, there's cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Well, definitely helps watching it a second time. I, I'm kicking myself because while I was watching it again, I, I should have retroactively been watching it every year just to like, which, which, I mean, you do this all the time, but I should, I should have been, you know, rewatching this every year just to like get an idea of, okay, what is, what is this movie saying? And I mean, hey, I got more than I, uh, I remembered a lot from when rewatching it, and then there was new context for new scenes, or not new scenes, but uh, everything. There's, yeah. I felt like there was a different context, and I, I started getting things. Maybe I don't know if it's because I've expanded. I don't think I've expanded my filmography and my my film repertoire, but I, I did feel like, oh, okay, yeah, I could see stuff like that. That 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 makes sense there. Yeah, I'll say for me for my expanding the film repertoire from 2020. Wow, I, re- I do feel like I've seen so many more movies since then than I had at that time. And even a couple new silent films, I've been watching them a little bit. So, yeah, I feel like I've may- maybe a little bit more prepared as well for a discussion like this. That's good. Yeah, you, you more than I have experimented a lot more and gone to other places that uh, I simply just have not gone to. So you, you're probably going to lead the discussion more than I will. And I'll give my best. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm only here to give my best uh, regarding this film because may, maybe I am like overhyping it. I hopefully you know don't want to you know, overhype it for the for people. But I guess, Caleb, if you could, Caleb, this is, I don't know if this is even possible, could you give like a very, very brief summary as to what's, you know, going on in this film? Okay, brief summary. So, really the story begins with this, and, and some of this is going to be wavery because we have an unreliable narrator telling this story. Oh, yeah. Uh, which we get right from the start. We see this, uh, this young man, and he's sitting in a courtyard with this, this much older man. And he's like, let me tell you about this, this old, crazy old story that happened to me. It's crazier than anything that you've ever experienced. Trust me. I don't know your life, but I'm pretty sure. And it's, <laughs> it starts off with this, this doctor coming to town, Dr. Caligari. And coming to the kind of the, the sideshow circuit, the spectacle circuit, I think he calls it. And he wants to, sh- to show the world this, this, this freak he has, if you want to throw into that, that term, this synambulus. This uh, voyeur into the future and into the past. And part of the sideshow is, oh, you come up and you ask this guy questions and he'll tell you tell you what you want to know. And our, our lead character here, do you remember his name? I actually didn't write it down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's either Alan or something or Francis. I think uh, it might be Francis. Yeah, because Alan's the friend. Yeah, yeah Alan's the friend. So it's, I believe it's Francis. Yeah, so Francis and his friend Alan go to the, the circus there or the little sideshow circuit. And Alan's very insistent. He wants to go see this synambulus. Francis, right from the start, is like, hey, I don't I don't want this. And especially when Alan goes up to ask a question, Francis is all over him. He's freaking out about it. Like, don't ask this guy. 
And Alan asks uh, a question that you really should not ask anybody, and that's how long will I live? And the Sinambulus uh, Chessere says, "You'll you'll only live till dawn." I think he says. Yep. And from then on, in, in the background, we found out that there was some some murders going on around the town, and Alan quickly, you know, his head joins the the chopping block, and that spirals into a little section of the movie centered around just Francis trying to convince the authorities that this Sinambulus is a killer and this Dr. Caligari is uh, responsible. And at first the police don't believe him, but eventually they, they're convinced. And a little chase ensues, and as Francis is chasing after Caligari, he finds himself showing up at this insane asylum. And then while there, they discover that this Caligari, I guess, isn't really named Dr. Caligari. He was a doctor there who seemingly went crazy and got obsessed with this old book discussing, uh, I think it was a 16th century scientist, or uh, not scientist, uh, like sideshow guy again, who was like, oh, if you get a somnambulist, you can convince them to do anything, even murder. And this scientist here, Dr. Caligari, was just, he was so obsessed with that and having his chance to replicate and see if he could could do that. And the reasons for all this stuff, I'm sure we'll try to, to suss out as the conversation goes on. But either way, ultimately, they end up locking up Caligari and the, the, the wraparound story kind of ends. And then we start to realize that maybe this unreliable narrator is even more unreliable than we thought because they're still in the insane asylum, but he's not just there visiting. He's there as a patient wandering around amongst the other uh, mentally unwell. And we do see him kind of have a big blow up and he's convinced once he sees a doctor that that, that doctor is Caligari. And we wrap it up with this this funny little line that I always think is humorous whenever I watch this. Whereas they're sedating him. The scientist sits up and he's like, well, so he thinks I'm Caligari. Now I know how to cure him. And then, yeah, credits roll. <laughs> I always love that bit, by the way, at the end. But I guess we'll get there. <laughs> Very well, sir. Thank you for the summary there. Um, so, uh, yeah, just, I guess, follow along with us as we discuss this film. Caleb, where do you want to start? Um, well, I want to start at the place where I can't help. Anytime I picture this movie in my mind... I just picture the just incredible film work. You, you get it right from the start, even with the um, the little intertitle, uh, little credit bits for the dialogue and whatnot. Among silent films, th- this stands out so much just in, in so many different ways, but even those seem so unique and, and crazy in their way. And I love the fact, uh, I've complained about this in other uh, movie discussions about the movie's color tone and lighting changes being inconsistent and kind of jarring me. And this movie does that, but in the best way, because it's you're meant to be off-kilter always, and everything's so expressionistic. I'm just so captured by the movie right from its first frames. And I think for anyone who is kind of wary getting into silent film, I think this would be a great starter, partially because it's only like an hour and 15 minutes long, but just it's so stunning to look at. I think it could capture just about any audience. The choices when it comes to lighting are, yeah, very, very well uh, decided. I like how, yeah, there's there's clearly a difference between night and day, where, you know, day is orange and night is kind of greenish blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. And there was a point where uh, when Francis is chasing Dr. Caligari to the uh, lunatic asylum, as, as they call it, um... I guess when I first watched this, I was confused. Like, oh, is it the exact same day? But clearly when I watched this tonight, or yeah, just tonight, 
I realized, wait a minute, he goes in there when it's daytime. Now, of course you can say, well, maybe it's, you know, it may be nighttime outside, but they have lights on inside. But no, clearly, uh, in other scenes where you see them, like, you know, in inside a, in a room, it will either be orange or it will be green-blue. Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, when uh, Cesare is going after um, Francis's love i forget her name jane jane thank you uh when he goes when he goes after jane it's inside it's 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 the inside of a building but it's dark so when he goes to the same asylum later on it's light out so it was the next day so i was i thought instantly francis went inside to confront calgary but apparently it turns out he does it in the next day so when i when i i guess when my brain realized that i was like ah okay there you go that that helped uh my my sense of timing and uh, what day it was. Yeah, I guess going back to a little bit of the the beginning with uh, Jane as she walks by while he's sitting, Francis sitting with this old man in this little courtyard. Pre-story, by the way, everybody. Yeah, part of the wraparound. And she looks, you know, like she's a little bit out of it, like she's a little bit lost. And Francis right away is like, oh, that's her. That's That's my love. And the old man sitting next to him. I love this guy. He... <laughs> He, he looks like he's so sedated and out of it. He's like half falling asleep at times. I, I I think there's actually a lot of humor in this movie that I kind of forget's there. Yep. And I haven't seen it in a while. There's Yeah, there's a lot of visual comedy in there as well. Like whenever um, there's a there's a crowd of, of men uh, that are gathered around Francis, they, I just, I always love like, you know, how they're, they're looking down or they're observing with Francis at the same time. Like they're all cued in like, oh, let's, yes, let's like look. I, I don't know why that, that, that kind of brought humor to me yeah. or was humorous to me. Yeah. And I guess that's something to point out too with uh, there's such a different air to silent film acting. You really don't see it in other types of films uh, much at all, but it's, it, it captures me in its own unique way as well. I, I think it's uh, yeah maybe lost art in its way. It very much is. It's very theatrical and over the top. They have to do this. They have to be like over, like like they have to over exaggerate, uh, because they're also kind of like physically acting in a way. They're they're literally showing like they're bringing the emotions of the characters outward uh, with these grand gestures and expressions, and I love it. Um, it's it's played completely straight by today's standards, and I think it like the confidence in everybody. Uh, it it sells me on it. Yeah, especially when we get to Caligari himself. That that guy is just he he's so funny, he's so big at times and he has all these these creepy looks. Even this first scene when we see him and he's coming in on that cane, and he's like juddering all over the place. Oh man. <laughs> when he when he comes in and we're first introduced to him, I lo- I, I I almost thought it was stop motion. Um in the best way I mean. Oh. Like he looked like a stop motion character. And maybe that's the, the, the cut I'm watching, of course, like what the um, the format I'm watching it on. But either way, I think it works. No, I can definitely see it. And this, this movie is filled with uh, these little like pinhole uh, spotlight shots where they'll just like shrink the frame until all you can see. It's all black, except for this tiny little pocket where you see uh, usually someone's face. And the, the shot that they get with Caligari there, I think, is, is very funny during his interest there's there's a sinister look to him like he's up to no good but and, and devious but somehow I, again I, it's it's not a i'm not laughing the same way you are laughing at dr strangelove in fact i wonder if um sellers is looking back at some of these these silent films 
in a way when he's when he's acting like uh sorry strange love yeah there's a lot of doctors tonight um <laughs> and I, I one one other cool fact i i noticed was that Calgary's wearing Mickey Mouse gloves. Yes. And I realize why that that is. I realize why like the lines are drawn on the glove because it different it I think it because it it's a black and white film even though this is colored sort of. It it shows that they're wearing clothing, I think. That's that's my explanation for it. There may be another reason, but I'm my explanation is you can see his I mean clearly somebody might say, "Well, I can tell the difference between if somebody's wearing gloves and somebody's not wearing gloves." Yeah, I wasn't sure why he had those those gloves, but they definitely caught my eye all the time. I was like, "Why well, you, you never see gloves like that anymore?" <laughs> you know, it could have been the uh, the same way they with all the eye makeup for Pitt's sakes, uh, the eyeliner just to like you know <laughs> show everybody's eyes. And I'm like, I guess yeah, I I guess that it's the same way. That that, that was my way of thinking, but there there could be a better explanation. Yeah, and the makeup too on the on my blue right here. I'm not sure what, what your copy looks like, but um, you can constantly, especially with Alan, but most of the characters, uh, you can see how much white makeup they pasted on their face. Uh, whenever they turn, usually you can see the line of it around their chin or the, the side of their neck. Like, they uh, pasted up those faces as much as they could to make them, I guess, be maybe more expressive, more visually stand out, but it, it looks yeah, very unnatural in its way as well. I mean, I can see a lot of the makeup on Caligari himself. They definitely used yeah. makeup to make him a lot larger than life. Or again, yeah, seem, I don't say hideous or something like that, but definitely have an air of mystery to him. Yeah, and just since we're, I'm moving over to, to Alan, since we're seeing him for the first time, as we uh, see his little his little room that he lives in, we get one of the things that I, I don't think I noticed on my previous viewings, but that I really loved this time, is how much they use paint to emphasize uh lighting like they'll they paint the the like shadows on things they paint uh, later on we'll get like a staircase and where it's supposed to look like the staircase goes on and on forever but really they just uh just painted along the ones that we're supposed to see and painted the other ones black so much really really fantastic set design and yeah it's another thing i don't think you could really replicate in color because if this wasn't color it'd be so obvious how much of the the shadows are just painted on yeah, by the way, this this guy playing Alan, every time I see him, I, I just think of Crispin Glover. Like, it's not an exact uh, look, but something about the shape of his jaw just reminds me of him. There's a similarity I can, I, I see or, I see what you're thinking. Yeah, and, and we don't get too much for Alan, but he does have just a kind of nice air, and, and his, his friendship with Francis and uh, Jane. I guess they're in their way, they're, they're rivals for, for her affection. They both are in love with her, they say. And uh, they'll be like, oh, but even... You know, whoever she decides, uh, we'll, we'll still stay, stay friends. Different time. Different time. Alan, his introduction is very interesting. He's very, he's very I would say animated, but yeah, out of out of the two characters between him and Francis, uh, Alan's the, the one who, I guess, yeah, who wants to go to the fair. He wants to go to the circus and see things. Because we, we first see him and he's, he's reading a book. And it looks like he is having troubles, I guess, focusing on reading. And then he, I guess he potentially hears uh, a ruckus or something like that, or a bunch of like laughter outside. And he sees the circus is in town. It's like, Oh man, I got to go to see Francis. I got to go tell, like he gets a flyer. It's like, Oh, the circus is in town. I got to go get Francis. Let's go. Let's let us as friends go to the circus uh, in the town. It's like, yeah, he's very, <laughs> I guess not. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say he's, 
trying to not be a part of his studies, but you know, he, he's he's one to jump at the fun. He's he loves you know seeing um, what's what's coming around and seeing what's happening in the town. So uh, that that at least gives him some form of well, I'm not saying character, but at least <laughs> it shows what his character is about. Yeah, he's youthful. He he loves life and yeah wants his friend to to enjoy the pleasures of the uh, the town with him, not the pleasures of the flesh, but. <laughs> Say that for something else. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. We don't really know what his relationship with Jane is like. It's only inferred, uh, other than like the two are suitors for her. But all of us out of out of nowhere, when we we eventually go into uh, the the cabinet of Doctor Caligari, um, you know, when, when he asks this nonbulist uh, or Cesare, excuse me, about you know his question, mm. it's like, where is this coming from? Is is it because he? I mean, maybe this, this, there's like some meta to this potentially. Like maybe this is a reference to something in real life. Mm. I don't know, but like, I mean, that's always the thing with with the youth, isn't it? Is it not? How long will I have to live? Yeah, maybe he's so so carefree because you know you gotta enjoy the moment when you can, because one day the end will come, and then having someone who can tell your own future. I mean, that's certainly not the first question I would ask. That's that's for damn sure. <laughs> and potentially also the other answer is that, well, we just like but before it was the so the end of the, the but right at the end of act one is when we see Caligari, you know, announced to the fairgrounds, uh, you know, the, the synobulus, Cesare, the synobulus, uh, Lumbo, excuse me. And then I believe in the beginning of act two, it is the the murder. The I think the first murder hmm. uh, is is kind of seen. Uh, in the town it ha- it happens so i wonder if that is oh, on yeah. alan's mind at all no that's yeah that that could very well be oh and yes the the murder of the town clerk uh the, this little like government office that caligari goes to to get his uh his approval i love the way it looks and i love the fact that the town clerk he's sitting on what looks like like a giant spire with just a tiny little seat pad on it and he has to lean so far over his desk it's also just exaggerated, and it, it's just so unique. Happens over in the police station as well, where you literally like see yeah. <laughs> uh, it's part of that German expression. You see, like you know, these they're sitting on stools and they're like you know hunched over because the stools are about to hit the ceiling. So it's like good grief, <laughs> you could hit your head on that. I, it's it's so grand and magnificent. Yes, yes, so fun, and and I love how when uh, Calgary comes in, he's all like. Uh, Weasley is like bowing, but the minute the town clerk kind of disrespects him, he gives him this this leering look, and you know he's like, eh, I, when I get the chance, I'm gonna fucking kill that guy. <laughs> the side eye or whatnot, just to, you know, it's like, a, you know, the, the, he's he's not uh, answer, he's not uh, fulfilling his needs or something like that. The town clerk is too busy with other uh, needs that he cannot attend to Calgary's, and this uh, definitely does not uh, sit well with the the doctor. Yeah. And we get some really funny expressions from him there, too. I love his expressions throughout all of this. <laughs> and I also liked right before he went in to see the town clerk, he, like, handed someone off his card. And I love the title card they gave for that, too. And it was all, like, his card itself almost looked like it was, like, stretched. I thought that was a fun little use of the, the inner titles. Indeed, very exaggerated. Yeah, and we got some other cool ones with the the, the books later on. Yes, yes, no doubt. Yes, the um, the old letters, or at least you know how how grand and how I guess old old school those those letters are, or those words are. Excuse me, print is pardon me. Yeah, and then we get to get a look at the little fair here, which I think they realize well. 
And one of the funny things watching a movie like this, something from over 100 years ago now. Yeah, 113, or 103 years ago. Yeah, you look at all the people and it's like, ah, you know, the fashion's a little bit different, but really, you know, it doesn't look that different. <laughs> 100 years ago, it was not that long ago. And even though the technology's changed, it's still, you know, we're still basically the same. I mean, like, t-shirts didn't exactly exist, like, v-necks didn't, like, weren't a thing. So, like, what you and I are wearing right now, um, like, I don't, <laughs> I highly doubt that any schmuck, like, normal schmuck was wearing uh, pink socks with donuts on them. <laughs> Funnily enough, not only am I wearing a v-neck, but I'm also wearing pink socks as well. That's just weird. I don't know how you can see me right now. You and I are sharing... <laughs> You are you and I are sharing the same brain cells as the kids nowadays would say, but yeah, no, there's the like and and toques as well. My like assortment of toques that I'm looking at right now wouldn't wouldn't exist. And same thing with like dad hats. Like that's not a thing that people would wear back in the day. Oh, and I, I was curious because some of their top hats are so long. I was like, was that the actual style, or are they meant to be exaggerated like so much? That's the thing, especially with some of this, uh, with all these uh, with, with all the um, attire and, and clothing. I don't know what's supposed to be, you know, modern times, or what's exaggerated for uh, the, the expressionist state. And I, I assume, I, I'd say the closest to probably fiction or non-fiction is perhaps when they're at the um mental hospital and the doctors the other doctors are wearing other uh, white coats i think that's probably fairly accurate the, I, I i suppose the only way to know is that you know at the very end when we cut out of the the story and we're back inside the mental hospital uh everybody there if, if we're in the non-expressionist world we're in the real world air quotes um they all are wearing, I guess, fashion of the time, or at least, you know, the, the clothing of the time. So that's, that's probably the closest thing we'll get. Yeah, no, that, I guess that's fair. The, the course of setting is still very uh, exaggerated, but, but yeah, it, it looks the most, uh, yeah, down to earth part of it. Yep. But continuing with the little fair bit, I've always loved whenever uh, Calgary comes out and starts ringing that giant bell of his, <laughs> just his expression and the strange way he's ringing it. That just makes me laugh too. <laughs> nine o'clock and all is well just like the hear ye hear ye bring out your dead ain't all of, all those jokes uh I, I i don't know why it is every time uh, somehow i always get a smile on my face every time like dr caligari takes off his hat and bows to like somebody it's, <laughs> i don't know why it's it gets me every time I'm just like oh man i always get a smile on my face from that yeah the guy's just great all of his movements are just so so perfect and I like that even in the, the little title card, when he says, step right up, they just exaggerate all the R's. I think that's really funny, too. <laughs> that's good. They even did that in the... Uh, so that does happen in other languages, or at least German. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess he's just given like a little preview the first time. He's like, hey, everyone come back tomorrow. The Sonambulist stuff will be ready to go. It's got a little display. But yeah, it doesn't save it till, uh, yeah the next day for it really unveils the creepiness. Yes, when Alan and uh, Francis are present. So, shall we talk about Cesare? Yeah, oh boy, this guy. I think the the way they make him look is perfect with the the, the haircut and the, the 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 outfit he's wearing. And once he starts talking, oh, this, his face is just so perfect for uh yeah, just scary. I I have to I have to point out now the the acting when Cesare wakes up. Oh man, the the patience and the the thought that went to 
uh, in, into how, like, you know, a person who has, you know, as Dr. Caligari claims, has been asleep for 23 years. He's been asleep this long, and, um, you know, he can wake him up. The when, when he, you know, commands Cesare to wake up, my goodness, I love just how slow and methodical uh, and, the, and the thought that went into uh, how this person would wake up. I, I definitely love that where, he, you know, you, he slowly wakes up from like this, this trance and yeah. as if he's been asleep for so long. Yeah, like the little subtle twitches all over. Yeah, it's just great. Like such good control of his muscles there. Yeah. And the, the creepy eye makeup, I think it's just great, too. And yeah, he he gives his little proclamation of yeah, like, dead by dead by dawn. If it was this, if this was Evil Dead, can't remember exactly what he says, but I <laughs> uh, shall yeah, live, uh, but yeah, did live by daylight or something like that. Yeah, and he looks he looks creepy there, and I love uh, Alan's just look of absolutely stunned shock. Yeah, he has like a laugh to it. He goes into that uh, like delirium, and he looks hideous <laughs> in a creepy way too. The low angle that they picked, they just made him look really scary well with 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 alan he he cannot believe it he's like he, he takes it as a joke he cannot like you know believe what he's hearing it's like no of, of course i'm not you know going to die or he's just thinking it as a taking it as a joke and then um i guess i was incorrect by the way because after they go to uh the cabinet they then go to meet Jane in the evening, and they see that the newspaper there, the murder. Oh, okay. Mm. So it's it's so I was incorrect, but uh, in thinking that, so whoops, I, I got that wrong. Where it happens after the fact. So I don't know why Alan asked. You know, how long will I live? It, maybe it just could have literally just been a random like off the top of his head. Oh yeah, and right when they this is a, you you picked a perfect example actually is right when they go to see the uh, check out that little little flyer pa- uh, pasted on the wall of the, about the murder. They're standing right by this this light post, which all th- this whole setting right here is especially expressionistic and beautiful. And right below the light uh, source, there's like this little star painted on the ground. I think that's just, it's just so cool. <laughs> yeah, and um, one of the things we haven't mentioned so far in this, and this ties into a little bit of silent film stuff that we saw together uh, like a year ago, maybe. I think it was about that long. When it was Nosferatu. Yes. Because uh, the, the music throughout this, I think, is is a lot of fun. It has a like jaunty kind of vibe to it, but then nicely ominous when it needs to be. And I, I really like it. But at the same time, I was like, oh, when we went to go see Nosferatu with the, a live band, live band playing their own version of the, the score. I wouldn't mind seeing some different takes of music for this as well. I think they could do some really cool stuff uh, with it. That was the Invincible Czars. That was the band that we had saw, seen. So hopefully they will um, come back uh, to our neck of the woods and play us uh, their versions and jigs of uh, for the Doctor uh, Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Oh crap! I, I just realized I'm. I think it was we were actually going to see something initially. It was because of COVID, well, but we were originally going to see Cabinet Doctor Caligari. I a different score. So, did we mention that back in 2020? I don't know if that was happening at that time. I can't remember. Okay, well, that we did have the opportunity to do that. Maybe it was before. I don't even remember now. Yeah, I'm confused. I am definitely confused now. But, yeah, no, the, if you get a chance, the Invincible Czars are in your area, please. 
go and listen to them. Go see a live show because it's definitely worth an experience. Please keep your mind open and understand it's a different form of, of media. It's very slow and methodical, and it's also interactive as well. I don't know how we would uh, do it in this way, but no, it's uh, very much worth it. Yeah, very fun. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, I guess skipping ahead a little bit, we, we did see the scenes with, with Alan, Jane, and, and them, and they, and they have a nice little relationship. Even though they're both in love with her, it seems like they all get along you know, fairly well. Uh, but uh, yeah, Doom is coming for poor, poor Alan after his proclamation. Yeah, of like, regardless of, you know, who, whom Jane will choose as her suitor, uh, we shall still remain friends. And of course, as soon as that happens, then knock, as uh, <laughs> the, as the subtitles go, or not the subtitles, but the title cards go. Uh, we see Alan asleep, but then he wakes up to hear a sound. And it is a murderer. Yeah, and I like the way that they do it all in, all in shadow there. It, it kind of breaks the illusion of the uh, the painting of the light around, I guess, supposed to be coming from his window over his bed. Like, they even painted, like, the the, the baseboard of the bed. But then, yeah, doing the shadow right over it kind of screws it up. But it's still great looking, uh, the, the shadow murder. And that huge uh, kind of blade that he has, a naturally huge blade. I think when they stab it in there like that, it looks... Uh, yeah, I could see it creep me out a little bit as a kid, that scene. Oh yeah, and as as you know, people might be like, "Oh, it's so over exaggerated." That's the point. We, we, you know, he can't scream, but so he's his body is making the motions of screaming. Like you'd see it, like, "No, don't kill me!" Uh, as yeah. you know, this this assailant, you know, stabs the knife into his wound. End of Act Two. Forgot to mention six acts. Yeah, which I liked. It's making me think a little bit of the recent Suspiria. I wish they would go back to uh, yes, putting the axe in there. You're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> I guess the creator kind of like had some form of axe, and even in Oppenheimer as well, they kind of I don't know if it was two axe, but well, there was fusion and fission. So yeah, yeah, I guess they still do it to some degree. Yeah, yeah, or at least those who have. Well, oh, you know, never mind. <laughs> oh no. Uh, but yeah, we do see the prison, or uh, we do see the police station, like you mentioned earlier, with the the, the very funny uh, uh, giant spire seats. Yeah, but we we see during this little act that Francis, as much as they could show it, he he is mourning for his friend, and he's doing it the best he can to to find justice for him. Yeah, when like I don't know if it's Alan's mother or if it's um you know so, uh, like uh, somebody like maybe roommate not I don't know, roommate but like you know neighbor comes and screams you know yes like francis your your friend is dead i again i love uh how francis acts um how we see regret loss pain all in his motions there um i think it's displayed well enough and then when we uh jump to you know see the murder itself and like you know the body Again, just him like sobbing and weeping, and full again, full of sorrow. Oh, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, and I, yeah, you, you really do feel it. It's it's a definitely a different kind of acting. It's away from naturalistic acting, but it's it's got its own kind of uh, magic to it, and I I really get pulled into it. The fact that we see these over exaggerated designs, this like very weird art style with the backgrounds and the set design. I, I think it writes home uh, the, this acting style of, of how like over the top uh, it is and how expressionist it is. Uh, hence the point of expression. Yeah, in a weird way, it's almost like these people 
they exist in like this almost cartoon it almost looks like an animated movie to some degree the backgrounds and yeah it's almost like live action animated in some strange way yeah but without it being too much the former if if that makes sense uh, on the live action part or uh no just like you know somehow somehow like sometimes oh like this you you said this before in the past where like a character from some other movie may oh they're just acting like a cartoon character or whatnot like yes. you know, yeah like how sometimes jim carrey will you know go into that he's a good example of that where he'll you know often act like a, a looney tunes character or something like that yeah this is this is not we're not we're not talking this is like you know mickey mouse or or bugs bunny or something like that this is just more in a sense of, yeah, we're in a heightened, as, as Caleb just said, we're in a heightened world. We're in a heightened mm. reality. Yeah. And yeah, maybe cartoon isn't quite the right, uh, but definitely in its own kind of surreal, surreal reality. And they fit in just perfect in this, this, this strange world that they inhabit. You can, with this expressionist movement, you can, you can tell stories uh, in a different setting or in a, in a different way. You didn't really see this with uh, with with Nosferatu. It it had some moments of that, but it was largely actually. Yeah, watch it because I hadn't watched Nosferatu before this. So yeah. I, I we watched this first back in 2020, or I did. Excuse me, not not, not you necessarily. And you watched it before me, and then we watched. You've seen it before, but uh, I watched Nosferatu uh, at the Rio there, and man, what a difference! What a difference between both. Yeah. Yeah, both following the expressionistic kind of wave, but that one, or should I say this one, goes way, way further into it, its own realm. Nosferatu, I guess, does feel like it could still exist in the real world. It's just, yeah, they use the expressionistic flourishes more than uh, just completely removing it from reality, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it's because there's a lot of, like... Sh- scenes shot outside surprisingly uh, you can get away with that in a you know silent film i suppose but in this it's it's largely just except for maybe the courtyard unless the courtyard was a sound stage uh everything's in a in a stage everything is a set yeah yeah and all painted and it's not like they have real windows they just have like painted on windows painted on doors so yeah and sometimes i'm always like oh is that an actual like window or is that like like an actual like glass window or was it just painted i mean there's a few things that are probably like props but yeah, yeah for the most part it is quite impressive the the fact that i mean i do wonder for instance in the police station uh when we see like you know the two inspectors or uh just you know hmm. policemen uh are they actually like you know about to hit their heads in the wall or is that just like the the painting in the background where it's a forced perspective. I mean, maybe it is both. Maybe it, maybe it actually is like a very uh, irregular shaped box that they're they're sitting in. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, no, you're right. It could be just the way that they frame it and paint it that makes it. That takes some real good like camera work, by the way, to pull that yeah. off. And and only that staging as well. I have to. I think it's not just camera work; it's staging of like where you put the props and where you set up everybody so that it does look like uh, the wall is closer than you think it is. And speaking of that staging you were just talking about, uh, we see the, the second murder, this one not done by the Sinambulus uh, Chessere, but by this, I don't know, just a random uh, bad guy. This bum. It's like, oh, if I murder someone in the same way, then they'll, it'll uh, take the suspicion off me. Not the best <laughs> thinking on his part necessarily. Well, again, given the uh, nature of this 
the story potentially like unreliable narrator there of like he yeah. couldn't think of any uh reason for this character other than like oh yeah if i mur if i you know even though this this there's been two murders so far if i do uh, this myself it'll throw suspicion off of me sure <laughs> yeah we see him creeping down a little alleyway with the like we were just talking about with the painted on windows and then we get this really cool shot once again done in that little pinhole style where the whole frame is black except for this tiny little pocket. And that's someone standing outside of, or, or at least hanging out of a halfway, out of a real window. And I thought that was just another really cool uh, use of the photography in that way. Yeah. Where she's screaming, murderer, murderer, he tried to kill me. Yeah. And yeah, he immediately gets himself uh, captured because <laughs> I guess there's a ton of cops around. They're all just waiting. It's not even that. I don't think it's cops. I think it's the townsfolk. I think the, the men just like immediately like come together and they're like, oh, we got to get this guy. And they literally just like gang up on him and, and like grab him. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're, you're probably right there. And I'm sure in a place where murder doesn't happen very often, people are probably on the lookout. Like, hey, we got to capture that guy. We don't want a yeah, dangerous person in our midst. The city watch, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's 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 something else entirely like <laughs> different time back then. Yeah. Yeah, then we get another kind of funny little scene. Dr. Caligari himself is just always so humorous the way he, he moves around. And he's just, you know, he's caring for his little synambulist pal. He's uh, he's feeding him. Which, of course, me, you know, thinking about my bathroom ways, I was like, so if he's feeding this guy, does that mean he's got like a bedpan in there too? Like, what's going on there? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't think about it. I mean, again, he said, well, like, according to him, he's been, um, he's been asleep. Cesare has been asleep for 23 years. I don't know how he full, like grew into a full on adult. Like just like did everybody keep feeding him? Like how did yeah? How do you use the bathroom? Like how does he get his exercise? Like how does your body develop in that way if it's always sleep? Like, yeah, and, uh, th these are probably not the details to ask for in this story. This one's you know everything's in its way, kind of a uh, almost like fairy tale like to some degree. If that makes sense, certainly. But either way, so Francis, he's recruited Jane's dad. They're like, okay, let's, you know, let's go interrogate this, this Dr. Caligari guy. Let's see if we can, if we can pick up any evidence to, to bring against him. And Caligari, during this whole scene, he's so, he's back into that Weasley kind of fashion. He's, he's so funny. <laughs> yeah, he's acting very suspicious. He's, he's, you know, being very uh, operatic. He's, you know, put, putting his, like, coke behind his face or something like that. It's yeah devious nature of him but it's like no i have i have nothing to hide here's here's cesare here he is yeah and lucky for him right during the uh this interrogation the townsfolk they bring in the murder and so it's it's called off like okay we solved the crime and then caligari gets to uh yeah sneak his way out of it yep no plausible deniability yeah i do like during the whole interrogation they do this kind of weird it's almost like a diamond shape a uh, little framing for him when all the rest of the screen's black except for this little diamond. And we keep seeing him with this very put out expression. He keeps glancing over at them and just this look of like disgust. Uh, I think that's I think that's great as well. <laughs> I do want to bring up with with back to back to Francis when he goes to you know, a little bit back, if you don't mind, uh Francis he's he's talking to or what what when he goes to the police station and you know he's like, I will not rest until I have solved my friend's murder. And I really like it really has changed him as a person. Like he is definitely like a different person uh, by this point. It, again, he just like we see him walk down those stairs and he just 
again the the a- anguish that he he feels and the sorrow from you know the fact that his friend has died and been well just not even died but been murdered yeah and i know i think we we both know some people in our lives who uh this this you know they 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 they're similar to to francis with when a close f- friend or family member potentially has uh, been murdered that's it definitely does something to somebody and changes them so we see a, a different francis and we we didn't really have much of him beforehand he was a i wouldn't say a quiet fellow but yeah. he was you know a little bit more reserved than what alan was but yeah seeing the death of alan has gotten to him and when he's when we when he finally tells jane because she didn't even know about this oh boy she also like very devastated and reacts probably appropriately yeah yeah by the way before we move away from from or move more into what Jane's going to do. Yeah, of course. I do love the look of her room as well. I think it's a very beautiful piece of design. Oh, it's and it changes the uh, the, the the tone, not even the tone, but the the color filter is pink or you know very yeah. light, light red. Yeah, which is interesting. I don't I don't know what what they did there. Yeah, because they have all these kind of sepia tones. They have these greens and now pink. Yeah, you you don't really don't see that too much in the black and white era, changing up in that way. Now. Uh, I'm looking at me. I'm looking at one of the scenes there with the the murder, the um, the bum murder. Um, he's you know he's sneaking his way into like the house, right? Uh, I did see that the lantern; those lanterns are not uh, painted backgrounds; those are actual like lanterns. Yeah, I think most of the time that we see lanterns, they really have like a prop there. It's just uh, they like paint where the light would be cast. Yes, because I guess they have the whole uh, set lit, you know, not by those lights, but just huge lights over them. Yep. So they like cast all the shadows or the spectrums of the light. They just paint it all over. It's so cool. I don't think I've ever seen that before. It is because I saw when he was sneaking into the door um, mm-hmm. or to the door, excuse me, I saw light on his face. So that is in fact like the sorry, weird detail, but the he is <laughs> in fact good. like lit lit by the uh, the lantern. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that, that was one of those ones that like uh, kind of like hangs over, right? Indeed. One of those cool looking ones. Yeah, I really like those too. Yeah, and again, it's very like irregular. Yeah, but poor Jane, you know, she she's also getting worried about not just the murder of her friend, but she realizes that her dad and Francis have been gone a little bit longer than she was expecting. And so she goes out to, uh, to, to track them down and finds her way over in the fair. I yeah I don't know if she overheard. This is the thing where you know I'm not calling it like lazy writing or like they're not definitely not, but like she she goes maybe she overheard them being like oh yeah Doctor Caligari. So maybe she herself is also just like huh this this Doctor Caligari, um may, maybe worth seeing. I believe was it at night or in the daytime? Uh, when she left. Yeah, when she went to see the doctor. Uh daytime. So it might have been just later that same day. Daytime. Okay, so this. Okay, because, yeah, they both go see him, and it's daytime, so when she goes, yeah, I thought it was, like, at nighttime. I'm like, really? You're going to go see that at night? Like, good grief. And, by the way, when they see Dr. Calgary, it's in the daytime. When the murder takes place, it's at night. So there still technically could have, like, it still could have happened. He still could have, like, there is potential for Cesare to have gone out and enacted murder, potentially, uh, just because it was the daytime. I forgot that little detail there. Oh, uh for uh which murder the murder that the lady who got killed oh uh, well, not the, well not she didn't get murdered but like 
maybe he did. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess attempted. Yeah, yeah, attempted murder. Uh, because then the next day, the the men, the the, the crowd, um, or the I guess like generous mob or whatever you want to call it, the the, the trustworthy <laughs> mob, bring in the guy, and it's the daytime. But when they caught him, it was at nighttime. That's fair. So there was a trend because I'm I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, they're all. It's like it's clearly daytime, and I'm like, oh right, because day and night do uh do may mean something in this in the story yeah yep and yeah he comes out once again in that kind of weird diamond uh i've never really seen that before either <laughs> instead of doing like just a little pinhole they do that weird shape i thought that was cool and she's like oh you know is, is my dad here and i don't know i don't know if he gets like the creepy eye for her but he's like why don't you come into my tent uh we can explore this a little bit further and come see my little pal here and they do another cool little wake up for for Chesare. and then the two of them they just give her this this lingering leering stare and it almost looks like Caligari like almost starts to drool or something it's like ooh yes very pardon me if this is outdated but very psychosexual almost yeah it's it's something <laughs> and she she takes off rightfully so looking terrified <laughs> and the same for me <laughs> by the way when uh <laughs> Again, sorry, even though I'm watching this at the same time. Uh, when after when uh, sure. Cesare, Cesare, sorry, when Francis and Jane's dad are interrogating Doctor Calgary, or at least you know, for, uh, looking at Cesare, I love how you know Francis looks outside and then sees like I guess like a, either a buddy of his or just somebody handing out flyers or something like that. And it's like, oh, the the murderer. He is is he's been caught. Uh, this dastardly fiend has been been caught. Like you know, averted the through three murders. And then, like, he's just like, what? Like, very convenient. And then, like, Caligari um, <laughs> comes out and starts laughing maniacally and starts, you know, bowing with his his, his hat down. Yes. I'm sorry. That was just uh, <laughs> such a fun scene there. That was like, oh, man. That was just, like, behind their backs. Like, ha-ha. End of Act 3. Forgot about that. Act 4. Yeah. No, that's great. And it's I also love with Caligari after the scene when uh, Jane flees in horror. And they do another one of those little like zoom in like for a little pin uh pin shot of his face yep and yeah they it's like they even fade out uh chess ray it's only him and his creepy desires it's like oh man <laughs> yeah like you know she's the most beautiful thing he has ever seen objectifying women there and uh it is either you know it's it's in what dr caligari commands or it's by I don't know if it's by Cesare's desires and keeps him up. I have no idea, but goes after it chooses Jane as his next target. Yeah. And they do do something interesting with Cesare a little bit after that. But um, yeah, I guess, I guess in between we do see that um, old Francis, he's decided, okay, you know, that's, I, I still, I still don't trust that, uh, that Caligari. I don't know if they already announced that the, the bum guy wasn't a murderer. I don't think that's come out quite yet. Well, they've no, they've. Uh, th- this is where yeah, Francis and uh, Jane's father go to the police station and interrogate the bum murder. Um, mm. Where they like you know, and he gives his whole spiel on like you know the old one. I was trying tried to kill her, right? I, I had nothing to do with those two first murders. Oh yes, yeah. So this is what this this is yeah this is where sorry if, if things are like every, <laughs> this conversation is going everywhere, but no yeah this there's, there's, <laughs> a, there's a like steady timeline here that, that they're showing as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, I think I just must have missed that a little bit. Okay, well, here's okay. This is a weird thing. So there's a point where we see an aside of Francis. He's looking down, almost I guess 
um, not defeated, but definitely not kind of bummed that he's not hearing what he wants to hear of like believing that this is, you know, the man who killed Alan, uh, or if he just doesn't believe him at all and, or, or he believes him and he's like, ah, well, it could be Calgary. I don't know why he wouldn't be happy about this, but, um, Jane's dad sitting in a chair before and after he wasn't sitting, or at least we didn't see the chair unless that's just the, the rip of the movie I'm watching. Oh, I'm not sure. It looks like he's just standing up, and I'm like, "What the hey is going on there?" <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and yeah, clearly I can see now. I'm at the scene where Jane is going to the fairground, and it's daytime. Um, again, the background, holy smokes! Just like the image yeah. of the town in the background, like you could see what Tim Burton definitely was influenced by. Oh yes, I love that. I think that looks so great. And the the geometry and layout of the fairground, good. I, like, there's some form of order to it but there's still a lot of disorder to it yeah and they they frame it all very well in the early uh fair shots so we can catch so much in the frame from just the the, the still uh position that they chose yeah really really excellent stuff yeah why do you why do you think i i guess okay yeah you know i, I was wondering um if uh jane, why jane was going to dr caligari it i was incorrect i thought she went to seek him because they she knew about you know uh i guess overheard them talking about dr caligari and and cesare but no it just turns out she's looking she's just out in the town looking for him mm. i guess the fairgrounds closed for today and just happens to you know stumble she's in there she's like oh maybe they're in here and then just you know goes towards the cabinet's tent and then yeah out pops caligari yeah <laughs> so it's all coincidence that's what it was small town yeah and again he's so creepy it's so creepy during that <laughs> So creepy, animated, like, ah, yeah, ah, my beauty, how are you doing? Yeah, and I don't know if you'll be here quite yet, but uh, when we when we leave that little scene and we, after we get Francis setting up his little stakeout, he's like, okay, I, I suspect that the Caligari and the, the Sinambulists, I, I still suspect that they're the ones at fault here. Yep. And so he goes and he spies in. And we see Caligari sitting there uh, suspiciously with, with, now his coffin's open. Usually he always keeps it closed, but uh, yeah, for his Indeed. little cover-up. And then we get this great shot of Cesare sneaking through the city. And just like, he's like hovering against the walls. Ooh, it's creepy. <laughs> yeah, he's becoming one with the walls. Again, very, very good acting on, on this man's part. He can almost play out, like he's very mime-like. Um, yeah. Where he's like very, you know, very mute. But his actions are literally speaking louder than his words. Um, you know, his performance is showing, you know, how he, how he moves. He's, he's very snake-like. He's I mean, obviously not slithering on the floor, but he's hugging the wall. He's, he's trying to you know, avoid detection and all that stuff. Uh, and, yeah, I, oh, what happens beforehand, by the way, it's a, it's a quick one. It really doesn't mean much, but there was a funeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan did have a funeral that they, they did held. held. So you know, we see um, Jane and, and Francis and her father, you know, come out from, I guess, the cemetery. And I love the the organ that plays there as well. Yeah, and and I guess yeah. On another note of with, with the instruments, I do love. I you I know you mentioned it before, but I I definitely love uh, how the yeah the instruments do play a part in this. And as you know, as it may, maybe we we hear this nowadays, but yeah, how how they almost predict things and they they set the mood. Uh, like especially like I remember when we we saw Alan, there was kind of a like 
light fanfare there. There was kind of like, you know, whimsical, whimsical music or something like that. And same thing with the fair. But anytime Caligari comes in, especially when, you know, we see the, um, what is it, the, the little monkey there at the, at the stand. Uh, and then we see Caligari come on screen. We hear like, you know, some, uh, all, all of a sudden some like sinister strings or something like that. Uh, the music yeah. kind of like, you know, drops, a, drops into the bass cl- uh, clef and we all of a sudden you know, kind of hear some like, oh, some nefarious sounds there. It's like, oh, okay. That definitely means something. So as, as obvious as it sounds, I do like how the music is one memorable and two, it's, it is a part of the, the, the does kind of enhance the overall quality of the, of the movie. I think if you watch this without music, I think you'd be missing something. Oh yes. Hugely. Yeah. And it, I, it's interesting to think about how much of a role music has to play in, in sound film to, to make up for the fact that you don't hear any sounds or yeah voices um so it's weird watching just and i'm finally at the scene that we're we're presently of of (laughs) cesare you know hugging the wall to go see jane his face it's not it's it doesn't look white it's 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 like it's it's black painted black but like obviously in the next scene it clearly is white but it was weird how in in that sequence of him hugging the wall it was almost like completely black yeah i guess he's meant to be in the shadows so yep yeah, literally a shadow almost. So that make yeah, that makes make sense. Um, I I gotta say, like with Cesare and his look, I, I definitely wonder if, I mean, maybe this is like just a thing, or this is a different thing they come for. But he definitely, you know, reminds me of Sting and of course the Crow. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I don't know if that's where they they got those ideas from, but he definitely, but it probably goes back to something even further than you know what Cesare is. Maybe there's a type of archetype of some. I mean, I guess there's a mime, of course. Yeah, the one thing I remember from our first discussion on this is we talked a ton about all the influ- influences. And yeah, I guess those two you could tag on there too. They do feel like, yeah, they took some from there. Yeah, no, they're definitely. And again, maybe it is just like a mime that they're mimicking. Could be. And yeah. potentially, and this is, they're just like the modern day versions of mimes, sort of. She took the face paint and that was it. But I do love when he comes to her in the bed that he continues that like sleepwalking element where it's so slow and deliberate and his arms don't move. It's, it's almost like once he's in the act about to kill her, that's when he can finally take control of himself. What, what we didn't get though is, um, what, what is it? Uh, Calgary giving Cesare instructions as far as I'm aware, other than like, wait, like, you know, he tells him to wake up. Uh, what we yep. don't see ever, at least you know, as far as I'm aware, we never see him, uh, give Cesare instructions to like, unless of course that's the point because we can't see that or else it's like, oh, we know it's him. Uh, <laughs> even though we're seeing it's Cesare clearly murdering, we never see Caligari give the order to go and, and murder uh, the the victim. Yeah, I didn't notice until this this watch that it's not just that he, uh, you know, it's it's like, oh, I'm about to kill her. I'll stop doing it because I I'm interested. It's like he never looked at the victims until he glanced at her. Then even when he was raising the knife, he was just staring forward. Yep. But then it's that glance, and it's like, oh no, maybe he's finally stirred from his 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 sleepwalking in that moment. She woke up. Yeah, he became woke. There you go. <laughs> Got woke, and oh golly, as soon as oh my goodness, as soon as like you know, he decides not to murder Jane, and I guess have her as his. Yeah. Oh man. I say that in every with every creepy undertone, of course. I intend to say that with that uh in a straight face good like he forces himself on her by you know just like 
oh, like like grab her and then like just the the facial animation of him like cackling at her as she like you know screams good grief it's <laughs> yeah it's it's scary it's definitely scary and he's grabbing on her I like how he's like he like claws her face and then he eventually just yeah tears her through the window and yeah goes off into the night and I don't know if these are like her two like man servants that we see. I don't know who these two guys are, but but two of them are the first to to jump to to helping her. The yeah the uh, maybe maybe it's in German culture. Maybe it's her brothers. I I I'm going with that. Sure, one of them looked kind of old, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> Could have been that too. Could be an uncle. I don't know. Yeah, it almost looked like they were like sleeping in like straight jackets or something. Just the way that their beds were. <laughs> uh, that was kind of strange. That's that's true. Uh, the family then comes in. We see her mother come in. We see her father come in. And he's devastated. He immediately sees the bed and he weeps. He he goes. He sobs into the bed. I'm just like, no, my daughter. Like, how, who could have done this? And then immediately, the, you know, the other others go and look at the windows. Like, look up there on the on the windows or on the rooftops. And we get a shot of the roof. Good grief, that's a irregular roof. What kind of geometry is this? <laughs> and I gotta say, like that. That uh, that that Cesare, he's pretty strong, or at least the the actor as well is cheesy. He has <laughs> to lug around Jane like a grief. Hopefully that wasn't offensive or anything like that. But just like yeah, I'm like oh man, yeah, he can only take her just a short while before he uh yeah can't care anymore. Yes. And now there's a whole mob again after him. Oh yeah, I would suggest the fireman's carry. By the way, uh, that makes yeah. things a little easier. Uh, trust me. Yeah, and I do like again how much this this whole section here they cut off so much of the frame and it's all just in this little little isolated blob i kind of like that they do that changing up the aspect ratio in that way a ton yeah i know you're right yeah yeah they they definitely um decide to do that and i think yeah just to show like you know what, what the i guess yeah show what the the action is or what the important scenes we need to see are yeah i don't know it's it gives it like a more personal edge or something but poor Chesare, you know, he can't even make it very far before he, like, passes out. I don't know if it's just the exposure to the sun. He's so used to, to snoozing during the day. But, yeah, he passes out there. Yeah, and definitely sells it. Yeah, and then Francis, you know, he, he stirs from his uh, his watch during the night and comes back home and, yeah, discovers her horribly, uh, yeah, in, a, in a, a bad state. Yeah, and assaulted in a way. Yeah, just you know, completely like you know, kidnapped and assaulted. Like, uh, yeah, she's like she's well, she wakes up, but she, she does not seem herself. She definitely has gone through an experience. Yeah, and she, maybe this is his way of because uh, later on he's like, oh, you know, there's my fiance uh, Jane. She's in here. Maybe this is uh, in his mind why she's maybe a little bit off now, as he's sitting in that asylum. Oh, and I love when she realizes who it was. Uh, she just screams Cesare, and then, like, I love uh, the title card and how distorted it is. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, usually, usually these movies don't really play around with those very often. They're usually they're very, uh, yeah, just like a black screen with text. I love how much this one plays with it. Oh, and the yeah, all the title cards, um, when even the text as well, it looks it uh, looks over the uh, quite exaggerated over the top in, in a way yeah uh rather than like yeah regular just like oh yeah it's regular you know formal font this is like oh man mm-hmm. like it has expression to again <laughs> and what is this an expressionist film yeah but uh yeah though they're uh what's uh what's uh, yeah, go ahead and francis you know they're 
he's he's trying to be like, hey, you know, like it, it can't possibly be Chester. I was there watching all night. It can't be can't be him. And I do like during that scene, him and the dad, if you look, are are holding hands and they're like really squeezing each other's hands. I just thought that was a funny detail. <laughs> that is a neat funny detail. And I love how Jane's like, it was Cesare. It's like, oh man, like she is like um, convinced on that end of act four. Yeah. And yeah, now it's back off to the, the kooky police again. And he tries to lay out the story for them. And uh, yeah, this time they're buying it. <laughs> yeah, there's like, hang on a second. I'll, you know, I love also sometimes where I don't know if this is for later on down the line, but I, I kind of like how they don't give us title cards for everything he says. And yep. it's almost like, at least my interpretation is that he, like to the policeman, or at least maybe to us, he's speaking gibberish. Like, it's almost like he's sounding like a stark raving madman of like, Oh, he's, he's coming in here and he's got all these, uh, he's got all these things or he's, he's saying all these things that we, we don't, we, we can't obviously hear what he's saying. But then he asks like, is the prisoner, the, the bum murderer, is he still in his cell? So like that's the that's the thing he's asking about. I like how they glance at that tiny little like peak hole. I think that's funny too. <laughs> and it's just like, is he in there? Yeah, he's in there. <laughs> With like a giant thing to suck to his leg. <laughs> yeah, giant <laughs> the comedically giant anvil of some sort to like, you know, prevent him from going anywhere. It's like, yeah, he couldn't have broken through that. Just and then I I like that though, actually. I wonder if that's where I mean maybe that was uh that was a gag from other stuff beforehand, but that's definitely where what you've seen like uh, prisoners in some cartoons would have like literally cartoon yeah. like it's even in uh, all the way in, in uh, uh, um, Disney's Robin Hood like that's not the Russell Crowe one but like the you know the animated version um, so that's always been a thing of just like oh yeah there's not there's no way they're gonna like you know move with all this weight yeah but so they bring the weight of the law over to uh, Caligari and yeah they're like okay let us in we want to take a look at this this Sinambulus of yours we want to make sure that he's uh still in there and this time caligari isn't being the uh oh there's a word i'm trying to think of when it's it's a conciliatory or something he's just being kind of weaselly and allowing like he did before this time he's putting up a big fight and rightfully so because as they finally push past him they discover that it's not the usual chessery in the box but the uh, the cardboard stand-in is uh the guy that they would use to like the scenes yeah this will stand in there it's only a model and poor uh, Caligari during that scene, he's breathing heavy. He's looking real put out. I think the actor is a lot of fun there, too. <laughs> I see a bunch of, like, glycerin going down his head. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> and he makes the big eyes once he realizes that he's caught. And he exits uh, stage left. Indeed, he actually does. Um, <laughs> oh, and this all takes place at Nach. Yeah. That was, that was the important detail I had mentioned earlier. It's like, there he is. It's Cesare. No, you stupid moron. That's his stunt double. <laughs> yeah. No, you dummy. That's his dummy. Wait a minute. Yeah, and the chase ensues along the hillsides. I do like that you can see the, the hill under moving under their feet as they go. <laughs> I think that's funny. Unintentional, of course, but I, I, I just appreciate the uh, the set work. And even the, the like the big bridge that they go over. I love the, the detail of that. That looks so cool. Yeah, it's yeah no, again, very expressionist in some of the trees as well. You can also kind of tell when this was like around what time it was. Yeah, the um, going around the uh, Im imagining like you know them moving uh, with the sets. Yeah, it's I have to. Uh, I admit I'd have to really not suspend my disbelief, but I really have to 
uh, imagine that as well. I'll have to give this another watch to kind of appreciate that more. The chase ensues, and it's only but it's only Francis who's on the on the case there, and he he chases Calgary all the way to uh, this this he corners him until he doesn't where Calgary goes to his gate, and it's it's, it's all of a sudden we kind of get into well out of nowhere this is like the end of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where you know you know one minute we see Willy Wonka he goes to the door and then he gets into his office and then he's it's like as if he never was. You know, like he was just doing a task beforehand without even realizing it just okay like very weird and clearly it's no longer nach it is daytime uh, at least inside the um, the asylum it is this lunatic asylum it's it's daytime so either he came the next day or it just happens to be you know morning when he sees him because again we've seen previously scenes inside that were nach or night excuse me this is clearly the daytime so he I assume came the next day yeah that's interesting yeah, all right. Yeah, I don't know. Because hmm. immediately he just like if because if, if he goes if he immediately goes in there, I'm like oh, okay, like fair enough. And this is another pl- time. This is another thing where it's like, huh? Like Francis is is oftentimes going into different areas or at least approaching. Like he can just go into the police station like that, and you know he can ask the policeman, "Hey, can I go see the the prisoner, the the man who allegedly was about to murder this this woman?" And they just say like, yeah, why not? It's like, huh. Yeah. So when he like obviously he has he has I guess he can ask to see like, you know, the uh head doctor in charge of this this asylum. But it's like, yeah, everybody's very friendly with him. Maybe that's just a different time, or it's also maybe saying what the nature of this entire narrative is. Yeah, and he, he comes and asks him more for a patient. He's like, Oh, do you have a patient here named Doc named Caligari? Oh yes, thank you. I guess thinking that he's a crazy, like escaped lunatic. Yep. But the doctor just uh, yeah, makes his presence known on his own. And I do love when Francis finally, uh, I guess it takes a while before he sees him, because the first doctor that we meet isn't uh, Caligari. It's a director. Yeah. The, yeah, no, both both of them go, or is, yeah, yeah, they're both just like, nope. And I guess, yeah, the, the Dr. Caligari that we've you know, known this whole time is actually Herr Director. Yes. Yeah, when they bring him up, to, <laughs> I love the shot of him in the chair. As he slowly rises up to, to meet him. <laughs> Just again, so funny. That's right. He is the director. That's that's correct. Okay, I forgot, yeah, yes. I forgot about that. Even though I just watched this. Yeah, I love when they take him to the office, the door that they open up. It's like facing down. And it's this very long, strange door. I, I just think that's such a cool touch. <laughs> again, very, very exaggerated. As we've been saying this whole time, like very yeah. good. Like whoever thought of this, like jeez, like good on you guys. And they just close it, like you know, it's a normal door. <laughs> yeah, and then he has a he can barely even speak. He once he realizes that oh no, that that is Caligari. He he runs away in terror. Oh, right, he's, he he's shocked. You can again see his expression clearly of like my goodness. He got he like bumbles through the door and is like my good. Like he's he's seen death itself. Yeah. yeah, and he, he collapses once he gets far enough away and all the doctors come and try to see what they can do to help this guy. Be doctors. <laughs> I do love his line when he's like, he himself, and none other, is Caligari. <laughs> I think that's great. Beautiful, wonderful. And so, again, yeah, people are very accepting for this, this, this Francis guy running around in his own. Maybe he looks a little bit kooky at this point, but everyone still believes him somehow. And so they're willing to, to give this theory a test. 
Yeah, and so they wait until the evening when Caligari goes off to excuse himself, potentially to go track down that missing Sonambulist of his. And they just, yeah, they tear apart the tear apart the office, looking for some evidence. And this is pretty much when we get the big exposition scene. As behind his little his little dollar store skeleton, which maybe was a real skeleton at this time, I don't know. <laughs> but they find his his secret books of the uh of synambulism or the occult kind of looks like again it's very very interesting that francis with like just convinces the other doctors to just uh go with them to um yeah just just like looks like he just convinces them it's like yeah we have to like you know look for evidence here like they they wouldn't put yeah. up a fuss of just like now wait a second here sir you're saying that the director is uh in fact this murderer who's uh <laughs> Uh, hexed this uh, or somehow bewitched and or taking control of this synambulist to commit murder like uh, wh- like what are you talking about you see you sound like you should be in a sale time until they find a book that always says synambulism a collected edition <laughs> by the university of Uppsala or Uppsala yeah let me get a little bit of the the backstory for this uh, the supposed backstory for the doctor as we learned that yeah he became obsessed with this wow I guess it would have been like was it 100 years before? 200 years before? Wow, that's weird to think. I think it was 200. I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, I think, 17, uh, 1703. 1783. I don't, oh, 1883. Okay. Oh, okay. It's not quite that long. Yeah, but. 1783. So, well, still long ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, he he discovered this this myth, and he's recreating it even down to the point that he calls himself the same name and calls Cesare the same name. And... Yeah, I don't know if it's just him wanting to test the boundaries of science and uh, exploration of the mentally ill. It was th- this moment where I'm like, this would make for a really cool like Batman story, like a like a short Batman story. Yeah, no, that could be, could be where it's either the same setting here where it's like a doctor is performing like uh, from a, he's he's it's like the Mad Hatter almost where he's basing himself off of the the character from the book. Same thing, literally, um, where, you know, this, this doctor is um, committing murders with a synambulist. It's like a it's like the ventriloquist as well. Uh, and Batman's the one that has to stop him and figure out the murders. Yeah, no, that could definitely be cool, actually, now that you say it. Especially if it was done as like a homage yeah. to this with expressionistic kind of use of Gotham. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And um, uh, again, short story. Nothing. I don't want like, you know, 25 long yeah. issues. I'm talking like short story <laughs> here. Yeah, just like a one off issue. Absolutely. Yeah, one off. Yeah, but I do love when we see, as we kind of see this backstory for him, we get the first meeting of him and, and the synambulist as they bring him in. And he, at first, he stands up as if he's the respectable doctor and kind of marches over. But once he gets a look at him, his mouth opens and he's getting all, yeah, that weaselly way again. He's getting all excited and he clears them all out. And he starts thinking about his uh, his devious plots. I think that's just so funny. My obsession, and he like like just you know the way he, you know, enacts that with his body. Good grief! Yeah, <laughs> it's over the top, but it's it's so well done. Yeah, and so deranged. Like, it looks scary. He even like tears his book apart. He's so excited. <laughs> I did wonder if, if him tearing the book was intentional or if it was just uh, I don't know, like an accidental. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe an accidental one because clearly it may or may not be the same book from later on. Like pre- presently, what Francis is looking at is not his diary. I know that, but like one of the the, the storybook that he uh, that he was reading from. Oh yeah, and I remember pointing this out during our initial discussion that they do something here that I've never seen before, uh, where it like does that pinhole technique on him, and as the screen's shrinking to give the the pinhole on his face. In the, uh, the bottom corner of the left side of the screen, another pinhole opens up, and that's how they transition to the next uh, little frame of the, the scientists, the doctors. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I've never seen that technique before. It's super cool. You, you mean, like, for the, the flashback? Yeah, coming out of the flashback, exactly. Yeah, it... Um, yeah, I guess it's... I, I, there's a, I think it's there's a term for it. I, I forget what it is. But when they fade, they fade into, I guess, the diary... Even though the diary's under Francis's hands, so I, they maybe should have done it in the center. I I don't know, but like, yeah, or like rewinding time almost, and then yeah, it like as soon as the, that scene ends, it comes back up, and yeah, we we go out of flashback to present day, and continue on with the story, and then and then go back and keep lo- looking at his diary. Yeah, <laughs> it almost looked like they were half about to try to do that same technique again. But then just like, ah, let's just do a traditional cut. <laughs> Maybe it was too hard doing it the first time. It seems as though Herr Director is trying to unravel the secrets of this story, whether it was true or not, of Dr. Caligari and see if a somnambulist can commit a vile, repugnant uh, murder um, while in his, in his like sleep. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, as, uh, as we find out in the end that Francis is a patient here, Maybe this is his view of, of doctors that they're uh, irresponsible and they're they're desperate to to learn things that they should never know and exploit their uh, their patients to seek out their own perverse desires. I don't know. They've gone too far. The, another word for them is quacks. There you go. Again, just the way uh, the the director says, you know, my obsession or an obsession. That's I I again I it's spilling out literally what he's all about, but. And so well done. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the I must become Caligari, that always sticks in my head, that line from him. And, it, and if you look at the way he, that he holds the books during a lot of these scenes. I, yeah, what the heck? <laughs> he's like destroying them. <laughs> like he's like he's overwhelming the book as well, like hugging it and just like bending. It's like, like any librarian would just be like wincing at this point. Yeah, he's, he's so crazed. And then we get this really cool scene when he goes out to his little, it's not quite the courtyard, but like around the the outside of the asylum. And they get really ambitious with the effects where he starts just seeing the letters scattered all over the screen. Yeah, that that always really sticks in my head. Uh, They didn't do necessarily perfect. Very frequently you can see like the uh, the edit like stop right before he's about to touch one of them. It like just freezes from him for a second. But I think for 1920... Very ambitious and fairly well executed for the time. I I didn't mind that though. I was I was I was all in. Where mm. yeah, it's it's a quick like freeze frame, but I'm like I don't. Somehow it, it works for me. I guess in this heightened uh, expressionist state, uh, where all of a sudden time stops and we see the letters come out, and even then, it, like they they still do it like when when he's moving. Like at first they stop like the whole film. And then insert it in, but then he's like moving around, and we see like, uh, do must Calgary Verden or whatever it says. <laughs> um, and he's moving, it's like, good grief. And that's the end of act five. Yeah, 
into Act 6. The final act. Yeah, the final act. At least for this part of the story. Indeed. Yeah, the doctors are all like, well, case closed. That seems like it's, uh, yeah, that's the guy you're looking for. You just look at their faces. They're all just like in utter shock and like, what is, what is going on? Like everybody, even Francis as well, is just like, what? Like, what are we reading here? Like just the, yeah. they all just seem like, oh man, like, just, uh, yeah, they, they, they look like they've lost their spirits, man. They're just like, they feel like sad in a way. They don't feel, you know, like treat them as a man. They're just like, man, like this is, this is sad. It's so sad. Yeah, and I guess they are doctors, so they, they can recognize, oh, you know, this, this poor guy's fallen deep into mental illness. Well, not only that, it's just like the fact that um, their director it's himself is is like, oh, this is our leader. He is, he's like, the, the, the very thing that he's trying to, you know, I guess, you know, um, cure, pardon me for saying that, of course, but like the thing mm. he's trying to diagnose and trying to avert uh, people's mental illnesses uh, he himself is no different than the patients that we're treating. Like it's just like it's it's a break for morale in in in, <laughs> in their heads. Yeah, and as they were uh, conducting their little investigation inside, outside the mob was continuing to hunt for for Chesare, and eventually they found they found him. I guess later that evening it looked like. Yeah, and uh, well, it was the same. Well, it was still in the evening. Oh, yeah, I guess it was evening when he went in there. Yeah, because what they did was they turned the lights on to signify light, but mm. it was still daytime. So maybe they almost needed to do a different filter with that. Um, yeah. But it was clearly nighttime because we kept cutting over to uh, the director sleeping in his villa. So it was like that kept, you know, showing us, OK, now this is still nighttime. It's still night. And then we see here. Yeah, like. Um, I guess an informant or somebody comes up to the uh, the doctors and and Francis and informs yeah with it we found uh, Cesare out in the fields where he clearly was and they um they I guess Francis are you either in charge or somebody's like yeah bring him over to the asylum yeah and so we get the line Mr. Director unmask yourself you are Dr. Caligari and you know Caligari rightfully uh is like ah you know he's he's putting on his little his typical performance of dis disgust and i do love as they bring in chesare he even before they lift over the thing he like splays himself across his desk like he, he can't contain himself even then and then <laughs> he does his little march over and then once they they lift over and he can see who it is he just goes into kill mode <laughs> The audacity. How dare you? And then, yeah, just completely unmasks himself and goes deranged. <laughs> He's trying to kill, I guess, the second in command. Just strangle him. And again, that, that's just so fun. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I guess that, that just about wraps up that side of the plot. We don't... We see him getting uh, put into a straight jacket. Wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, literally wrapped up. And he's, again, he's foaming at the mouth. He He's freaking out big time. And you gotta feel bad for him a little bit. Well, yeah, it's I I love how, you know, as as obsessed as Trezore or Trezor, sorry, Francis was over you know the fact that this man was the one who committed murder to Alan and kind of in a way led to the assault of of Jean. He still almost has some either regret or he doesn't like hate his guts or anything like that. You know, nowadays we would have like I hate you, I hate you, and he's gonna get revenge. It's like. 
he just feels bad for the director. He just feels like what, what, like what, what came about this? Like what, why did this have to happen? So there's kind of some like empathy he has towards him in a way, not fully of course, but definitely he's just like, how sad is it that this person had to, had, had to be this way? Yeah. Just despair of the whole situation that he's found himself embroiled in. And I do love as they close the door on Caligari again, it's this like gigantic door. And it's, it just, it's super cool. It almost looks like, like part of a wall almost. It's so huge. <laughs> I love the, the images in there, whatever the paintings they put in there, it looks like bacterium. Mm, yes. Almost or like microbes, microorganisms. Absolutely. It does look like that. That, that was cool. I don't, I don't know what that was about, but I, I, again, maybe like literally like we're seeing them study him now as we would with a microscope. Mm. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be the one the one under glass now. Indeed, he, he's in the Petri dish, and we are all going to be looking at him through the microscope. Yeah, and then we pull out back to what looks more like black and white than anything that we saw in his little uh, sepia-toned visions of the past. And again, the person he's telling the story to, he just, again, looks so sedated and out of it. <laughs> I just think it's, it's a really funny little bit there, that guy. But poor, uh, yeah, poor Francis, now that he's... Uh, told his story it's time to get up and you know maybe take a little walk around see what's going on and that's when we start to realize that uh maybe this story that he was telling some seems a bit off because as we look around the lobby of this asylum we start to see some figures from the the story just sitting in there first we see i think jane's the first one that we see or maybe it's chesare i guess you can kind of see both of them yep but neither one of them quite look as they were presented in the story. And as Francis walks by, he points out to the old man, like, oh, avoid him. That guy right there, that's Chesare. Don't let him tell you your future or you'll be killed. And the old man then is kind of like, oh, what? Like, I, I, I got to get away from you, sir. This this seems weird. Yeah, even though they use the same sets, there there's still a bit of over-exaggeration to it. But again, I feel like I, I like how they start us off in like, you know, it looks to be like just a regular courtyard. Um, it's just, it's a regular courtyard with like plants everywhere. Maybe it's a set. I don't know, but to show us, you know, the non-exaggeration. And then we come in here to this, we, we see that, that guy who's a, like a stark raving lunatic. He's, he's got the white beard. He's got the white hair and he's, he's yelling. He's just yelling at the top of his lungs. Yeah. It's almost like all of this, all these eccentricities, all these people, these characters, these, these people, um, with issues in their mentality and their psychology kind of lead to his, his story. They kind of lead into what his story is and how over-exaggerated it is, is a reflection of his environment. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Like I said, maybe his own perspective on these doctors, he can't trust them. They're all out to, uh, to pervert and, and change you use you like the doctor used, uh, the poor, uh, victim Chesare. Yeah, Verchesare was a victim in his own circumstance. We see other people who weren't even, you know, a part of the story. We see this lady hugging a doll, almost as if the doll were um, a, her child. Yeah, I see what you did there, uh, Anna, with with uh, Oscar, and uh, then this woman clearly playing a piano when there wasn't, when there isn't one in front of her. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps, you know, a couple weeks from now, the, the, all these people will create a whole new uh, delusion for him. The cast members that we didn't see. Potentially. Yeah, maybe. Like, he'll say, he'll talk to the same guy who he's never, and doesn't realize he's talked to for the past, like, however long. And 
come up with like a new story. Yeah, and poor Francis during this scene as we see him kind of going around these people. He just looks really in- internal and scared and sad. I, I think he, the actor, does a really good job in that little section there. And also it's interesting how with the, you know, I, I don't know if this is a real thing in real life, but how Francis is still well-dressed. He's he's still uh, to himself. Um, uh, Cesare, or whatever you know his name is, uh, is wearing pants. He's no longer wearing like the, I guess the, the thin dance troupe outfit he's instead wearing like black i guess shirt and uh, black pants yeah yeah and even uh i guess i guess the asylum here is just supplying whatever these people want because as we see with jane you know francis comes up to her and is like oh you know i love you won't you be my wife at last and she starts talking about how uh you know oh she's a queen and, and the queen yeah she can't just marry anybody you know it's uh and I guess they supplied her with this little crown that she's wearing now. Cause she didn't have it when we saw her last time walking in the, the courtyard out there. So, and I do love the eye makeup for her as well here. And, and the, they made her look quite different than before. Yeah. And even the lipstick as well. We Queens yeah. are not free to answer the claw call of our heart. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, it's, it's quite sad. This little last bit. Yeah, no. And, uh, well, things take a turn for when I guess hair director or doc head doctor in charge shows up. Yeah. Francis starts to, yeah, he goes into a meltdown mode. Unfortunately, he's grabbing on people. He's like, look out. It's him. It's the evil Dr. Caligari. And he, he even says like, you all think I'm insane. So he, he kind of knows. And he says, it's actually the director who's insane. How sad. And the director himself uh, doesn't, no, like, same actor, of course, no longer has the big face makeup, the, the, the makeup to um, ex- over-exaggerate him. And yeah. He's just regular face. He looks, obviously, I, I don't know if he had, if he, if he did have some eye makeup, it was very subtle, and I, I couldn't see it. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he looks like, you know, just a regular old person. Uh, or not old person, but just like a regular joe an average person and yeah but but as soon as yeah francis sees him he lashes out at him uh yep. angry at, at him for i guess the state of his being you're know, saying it's caligari it's caligari caligari and all <laughs> of a sudden as as he's you know going wild and everywhere the doctors get a get a uh straight jacket on him and get him to the exact same bring him to the exact same cell that caligari was placed in in his story yeah yeah, we get again that that line that I like. He pulls out his glasses and just kind of tries to comfort him. We even see it's the same doctors from before, of course, too, getting wrapped into it. Oh, yeah, that's that's even better, even better just to say, like, to show, like, you know, uh, familiar faces that uh, were in his story. Yeah, that the doctors would respect him and listen to him and they would work together with him to betray. Exactly. This uh, this evil director. And then, yeah, he's like, oh, at last I understand his uh, his delusions. He thinks I'm Caligari. Now I know how to cure him. I just think that's funny. It's such an odd way to end. Just wrap it up so quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're out of money. No, of course not. That's that's the end <laughs> picture there. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That's that's all folks. Yeah, do we have some I guess we could discuss in our as we approach the final thoughts section. Yeah, what do we think this was going for here? Do you do you feel like perhaps this was just uh, like, oh, we want to create like a really expressionistic kind of thing. Oh, let's tell a story from the point of view of a madman. 
and you know use all the the kind of imagery to give us some metaphorical stuff to make our minds tick or do you think maybe there was a greater kind of purpose going on there with this one there's a lot to digest and dissect from here um and i was thinking that too throughout the entire film i i mentioned that before uh where he's you know francis is kind of the you know he's the lead of the story this reminds me of if you remember when we were doing phantasm where the you know that whole thing was a dream in the in the end uh with michael you know imagining himself being with his brother the whole time and I pontificated whether or not every it was like a power fantasy, like what Michael was thinking of. It's it's all clearly a dream. Like you know, his brother wouldn't just you know let him handle all this like fire. I mean, maybe they, he would, but like he'll he'll like let him handle firearms. He'll take him on these the, you know this help him solve this mystery or whatnot. And mm-hmm. this is the same way where it's like Francis is inserting himself into like you know he goes to the, as I mentioned before he's inserting himself into the police station. Uh, then he. And, and like the police kind of agree with him, he can go and he has, I guess, power or at least, you know, is the uh, one who commands the mob and then also just goes into the insane asylum and uh, lets the, the doctors ask no questions of like, uh, sir, I don't know what like job you have. And that's another thing where like we don't really know what job Francis does do, but you know, like he just goes in there and takes command and whatnot. They don't ask him like, Hey, what's, where's your authority? Like, what do you, what do you, why are you really here? Um, yeah. so yeah, it makes like, it's all like kind of set up perfectly for, or not perfect, it's all set up, uh, for that end bit there. I don't know who Alan is. That's, that's the other thing. It's like, well, who is Alan in this story? Cause we don't see him. At least I don't think we see him in, in the uh, no. asylum at the end. It's like, what did this really happen? Or was it just a dream? Yeah, or it's he's yeah he's created this elaborate fantasy for himself. Or yeah, he's got this this friend who he loves, and he's got this 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 woman here who he loves him. I guess that's actually represented from the asylum. And yeah, everywhere he goes, he's respected and listened to. I'm sure living in that asylum, you know, nobody really listens to him or would give him any sort of authority or or care what he has to say. Even that old man just kind of walks away from it at the end and gives him like a a look of like okay, kook. So, Even though he also is a kook as well. Yeah. Potentially. So he has to, yeah, for his own mind, imagine all this. And then if he's fighting against the treatment, of course, the ultimate perpetrator of the evil in the town is the the person who's trying to, to help him come find a better way out. Uh, why the murders? I'm not sure about those. I, I, I wonder why he, it's it's painted up in this elaborate uh, kind of way. Maybe killing killing of his fantasies? I don't know. Yeah, because I don't want to like bring too much into what real life was like and who wrote this and directed this and directed this and what they were influenced by, mm-hmm. um, and what the killings were, or this whole synambulist idea. If if he himself is that, or if he himself read the book, like I wonder if again we don't, we don't know any of this, so I'm only speculating. If if Francis got a hand his hand on this book, or if this book even existed, of course. Yeah. That's the thing. It's this, this subjective reality. Um, <laughs> kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Perfect Blue in a way. Okay. Yeah, I could see some of that. Not 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 the same way because that's that's where um, she's uh, believing that she's seeing like this other self of hers like in the real world, and then there's this killer out to get her, or what, or the stalker out to get her, and lots of other stuff happening in that. Um, 
but definitely that one's kind of i guess influence not influence but definitely uh call forward to or call back to this one yeah and i guess if you think of in a way francis i mean in his elaborate in the real world in a way he is the synambulus so yeah maybe he sees his uh or unintentionally, unconsciously sees his existence as a kind of sleepwalking, moving through life without really being aware of what's what's really happening around you, being controlled and manipulated by these uh, this sinister doctor. Would would you say that this is this film is anti um, psychiatric hospitals? No, no, I I think it's definitely got a different take than we would have now. Okay, but I don't think it's anti. No, I think it's just. Uh, just having fun with the premise of what would the world look like painted by this man who's just in a complete delu- state of delusion. Yeah, of course. I don't mean to, uh, you know, immediately go there or anything like that because it does end in an insane asylum. And I wonder if it is trying to, you know, say, like, hey, these insane asylums, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not actually worth it. Are they actually doing anything for our patients? Um, or is it the, I don't know if it's pro insane uh, asylum, but <laughs> yeah, definitely like trying to think of yeah this like i i love your when when we were going to originally do this and you had all those notes about like you know this was you know the first world war literally ended like two years prior and then we literally had a plague that was also about to happen i am i am literally wondering like if anything from like in like what real world stuff influenced the director and writer to make this because there had to be, I don't want to say there has to be something. I'm going to sound like I'm trying to come up with an obsession. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to like extrapolate again, like what the influences are here. Like I was doing with Angel's Egg. Like I don't want to, I don't want the meeting, of course. This is one of those like subjective movies, but it's like, I do wonder like what their, their influence are. Influences are, especially since this is still like when film was relatively new. So it's like, what are you, what, what are you like? drawing what where, where are your um, sources what are you drawing from exactly yeah i i do remember i had a lot of research into the production here and i remember that this painter who did all these sets and the designs i think he had a big role in yeah them deciding to go with a premise like this like they were like oh look, look your art is so interesting why don't you come and help us conceive this movie if i remember correctly it's yeah been three years since i did that research today i just only watched the movie so and unfortunately, all my notes were deleted. So <laughs> you should not have deleted them because I did say back then that we will do this one eventually. It's just I, I needed time, and yeah. boy, I was was happy I did that. Yeah, and yeah, I feel like when I come back to this, this was I I think my f- fourth or fifth viewing today. I do feel like I get new appreciations for different elements of it. Um, for a full reading, I still don't have one. That's for sure. <laughs> um, oh, same here. But. Oh boy, is it just fun to come back to. It's it's nice and fleet. It looks stunning throughout. The music's great. The acting's great. And just overall, the whole time watching it, I have a smile on my face. I think it's just so fun. Yeah, no, I definitely... Even even though I was also a little bit hesitant of like, oh, should I... Do, do I really know what to say throughout this whole thing? And I don't have like a full-on reading and you know what the symbolism and philosophy is of this entire film. If it is like, you know, based off of a philosophy, a whole like theory of course but i uh, i don't know but you know what i'm perfectly okay with what we're doing right now this is not like stressing me out at all and you know we can keep talking yeah and that's kind of why i thought um doing a scene by scene would work because there's so much to talk about just in the individual moments um but yeah because i don't have an overall reading it's hard to know 
what a lot of this uh besides if you want to do a more surface one where it's just like looking at how this all the pieces work for maybe deciphering francis's uh interferes in and thoughts but in terms of maybe a a greater meaning i'm not too sure yeah and reading between the lines yeah but definitely one that i'll continue to come back to and try to to suss out a little bit more uh but not just for that just just it's so fun to to watch it's <laughs> sometimes i you know i would just watch it just to not even try to suss it out but just to experience the the strangeness of it in the beautiful sets yeah no this definitely maybe we'll we will i don't maybe i'll definitely be returning to it eventually one day uh watching it but maybe maybe we'll come back to this again with uh in a speakeasy of course and uh give even our like another analysis of it because i'm not done with it just yet oh yes yeah me neither uh but for this discussion do you feel like you have much much more places to go that we haven't uh, touched on already i can't really think of any off the top of my head right now um other than like, yeah, just trying to extrapolate what the whole thing means. Um, <laughs> but it's it while it's leaving me scratching my head, it's not it's in a good way. It's like, oh, I I really like that's that's what you want a film to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like we sussed out some definitely in terms of what Francis's maybe purposes for composing this story in his his mind, subconscious or not, and how he uh, how he wishes to see himself in the world. So that's interesting in its way, but yeah, I don't know if there's some other level of, of hidden meaning, meaning in there. That's the thing that I'm always looking for, but yeah, can't seem to quite suss out yet. <laughs> we will bring this one to a close and whew, a successful one at that. A, a one that I feel good about because this is, uh, this has been a year. This is, uh, as yeah, this, <laughs> this is our last one for this year. Um, I'm, I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased. I don't know uh, how you're feeling about this, but not not to go into something else because there obviously will be a we're, we're having the year in special. But like, I'm very pleased with how this this year turned out. Yeah, yeah. We'll I'll, we'll definitely have tons and tons to say for that speakeasy. Yeah, which I guess actually came out the night before this was released. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Since this will come out on Jan first, January first, that would be the the last day this but, year. Um, it's just having been able to return to other series that we hadn't done for a while. Uh, yeah, it feels satisfying, and this this one is pretty important um, for how apprehensive and how much I I did not feel ready to review this. Uh, even, even, you know, towards the end, maybe I, uh, all my thoughts weren't very coherent and I just slipped into certain sayings that I, I often say, I don't mean to say, but just my brain goes to them. Uh, I'm, I'm, I accept my read of the film and my overall voice I had for this film and I can move on. Yeah. feels, it feels very good to, to finally... Yeah, put the close the door on this one correctly after the last kind of just leaving it leaving it open for the spirits to come through. Yeah, and how <laughs> I don't know. And it's it's funny how like you know after we we talked about that uh, we kind of we after we're just like all right we gotta like put a pin in this and put the bookmark in the in this book. We just went off and did like just talked about stuff and we kind of yeah it was for a little more relaxed. But now it's like no I feel 
Yeah, not saying a weight's off my chest, but definitely I'm happy that we have finished it. Yeah, now that that's done, we did talk, I think, either in that speakeasy or a couple ones uh, post that, that maybe when we come back to this, we would follow it up with a little silent film series. And currently our schedule is quite full at the moment, um, but I'm definitely now more uh, more willing to bump that up and hopefully fit that in for some time soon. I won't give a date like I did last time. I think I said 2021, <laughs> and it's been, <laughs> been quite a while, so... But it'll be coming at some point soon. We are happy to say that will come in the future. Yeah. In the present when it actually does come out. So, uh, but it will, will be on our minds and we will get to it. Please have patience and trust that we ourselves will commit to that. Yeah. But for now, we'll be closing the, the book on this one. Thank you, Isaac, for, for finally joining me for this discussion. Definitely been looking forward to it. And I, yeah, I think it turned out well. I humbly accept uh, your thanks and thank you, sir, for talking about this one with me. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to watch it. And I I wait when we returned next. So, uh, until next time, I don't think it's a good idea to put a Synambulist on display. I don't know if that that would uh, morally correct in doing so, but... Perhaps one day you uh, will all meet a uh, Sonambulus and be friends with them. Till next time, peace. Mm-hmm.